So we're in John chapter 5 this morning, and we have a lot to get to, so um, uh, let's, let's dig right in. Uh, if you are just joining us, we're in the middle of our series, I think this is number 11 of the Gospel of John. And the end of the Gospel of John in, in chapter 20, John writes that the purpose that he's written, all of these things, everything that he's written in the Gospel of John is written so that the hearer, the reader, the person who interacts with what he's written, might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so I want to once again reiterate, I think I've said this every time, what it means to be the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a term. It's, it's who he is. Uh, and the Christ is, he is the long-awaited, anointed one that's been talked about through all the Old Testament and through all the New Testament. Everything is pointing towards the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. God, in eternity past, decided this is how he was going to satisfy his wrath and, and, and bring the world, redeem the world to himself. It's through someone that he was going to send, and that someone is Jesus. And because he is that someone, he has a, a, a label called the Christ. And John has written his gospel so that the hearers of his gospel might understand and might know, might believe that Jesus is the Christ. I highlight that word, believe. We're going to talk about that word a lot this morning, study what it means. It appears a bunch throughout the New Testament. It appears 85 times in the gospel of John and five times in the verses that we'll read this morning. All of that preamble to this is that Jesus is the Christ And most of what has happened so far that we've studied have been things that Jesus did to show signs that he is the Christ. Things that he did, things that he was about doing, healings, the miracles that he did. He healed someone's son and and he turned water into wine. Those stories that we've read already before, things that he did. But now, this morning, it's who Jesus is, the essence of who he is. And the essence of who he is is that he is God. And that's important for us that like the sermon in one sentence is Jesus is God. And and what does that mean for us? What is that how does how does that transcend itself into Tuesday morning when the alarm clock goes off? How does that transcend itself for our everyday mundane lives? I hope that's what we'll get to this morning. But Jesus is in fact God. So I want to backtrack just a little bit some of the stuff that Dave preached last week. We're in John chapter 5. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. Uh, Raise your hand and somebody will bring you one. Uh, And feel free to to take that home with you. If you don't even have an ESV Bible, that's what I'm reading from. So we're starting from John chapter 5, starting in verse 18. This verse 18 is one that that Dave kind of ended with last week. But for our purposes, we need to re-engage with it. This morning says Jesus is equal with God. That's the heading here. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even more calling his calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So two charges that are, that are brought against Jesus here. One is that he's healing on the Sabbath, which is a big no-no. And this is just after we, John has told the story about the healing, which was on the Sabbath. So Jesus broke the law, their law, by healing on the Sabbath. But also more than that, and what John is going to get to here, 
is what comes after that comma there. But he was also calling him, calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So not only was he healing on the Sabbath, but more than that, he was calling himself equal with God. So the healing on the Sabbath is what John just got finished talking about. And God calling him, Jesus calling himself God is what he's about to talk about. And so he relates this story where Jesus calls himself God. He calls himself the son of God. He calls himself the son of man. And he equates what he's doing with what God did. Now, here's the thing that, that we need to be careful of. Because we are, I am, and I think most of, most of us are, when, if, if we study scripture much, we understand that religious leaders are not us. But I want us to connect with who they are. Because most likely, what's happening in their world in this moment, we would probably react the exact same way that they are reacting. They're religious people. By virtue of you showing up here this morning, there is at least some sense of you of religion. And I know that in the church that, that we go to, like we like to think religion is, is, is bad and, and relationship is good and all those things. But let's put aside that definition of religion and let's think about this definition of religion, that, that we desire to see God. That was true of these religious leaders. They desired to see God. They got things a bit confused. Imagine today this happens. Some guy we, we learn about in, in a far-off country, we haven't really seen much of who he is, but some guy is proclaiming that he's God. What would you do? That dude is weird, he's a freak, he's blasphemous, let's get rid of him. And that's what these religious leaders did. Now, it happens that Jesus, in fact, was God, and so they were confused with it, and that's why... You've seen this morning, Jeff has talked about it, and Dave has talked about it, and the last words that we sung talked about it. Open the eyes of my heart. Because Jesus claiming to be God, and you may have heard this idea before. If Jesus claims to be God, then he's got to be one of three things. He's got to be just dumb. He, doesn't, he just doesn't get it. Or he's got to be out of his mind crazy, which is what we would think most people were if today, if somebody stood up and said, hey, I'm God, I think about like all of the cults in past. I think about David Koresh and like he's a weirdo and he winds up dying a weirdo's death. So Jesus has to be David Koresh or dumb or he's got to be God. So for us, the the purpose of everything that's happened this morning so far is to get us to open our eyes, pay attention, that Jesus is God. And the ramifications of that are huge. They're massive. And, and I think we come to Scripture, we come to church, the, the stream that we all swim in, the theological stream that we all swim in, we believe that Jesus is God here but, but do we allow that idea to press into everything that we are? And this is where Jesus is here. He's engaging people whose eyes are closed with all that he is. And John is relating this story about 70 years later. If you've studied much of the book of John, you understand that 
the, the details that John is writing about happen in Jesus' life, but when he shares them, it's about 50, 60, 70 years after they happened. So John is, is writing to people who are reflecting upon this, who need to know that Jesus is God. So we've talked about what he did. Now we're talking about who he is. Dig into verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son, that the Son does likewise. There's a whole bunch here. First of all, something we probably didn't see, this word said, Jesus said to them. This is a different word than just said. Like I've said a bunch of words just now. I've said them, but not, this isn't the same said that's here. This said is a it only appears in the context of legal matters. Understand that Jesus now is contextualizing, like he knows his audience, and so he's going to use words that they connect with. This word that he uses for said here is, he, I testify legally in front of you. I know you respond to law type things. I know you study the law, and I know you understand the law, and I know you know the law, so I engage with you from a lawyer standpoint. So Jesus right here, is taking the stand in front of these lawyers, these religious leaders. So he's not, there's, there's no confusion. Nobody can be confused. Jesus is, is laying it specifically on the line for these people. Then, the rest, let's read verse 19 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees God the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does Likewise. All right, bear with me. We're going to theology class for a second, okay? You can do it. Take a deep breath. It's fine. We're going to go to theology class. This is the Trinity is being spoken of here. The Trinity is a really important concept that doesn't show up specifically, didactically in Scripture. The word Trinity does not appear in Scripture. But the inherent teaching does, and it shows up here. In the rest of these verses that we're going to deal with, the Trinity is, is never more clear than it is here. Jesus saying, I am God. So, the Trinity is important, but there's a little bit, there's, there's some intricacies here. There is the ontological Trinity and the economic Trinity. What? All right, fire that first slide up there, David. The ontological Trinity, the idea or being of essence. The idea of being or essence. The ontological, when we speak of the ontological trinity, it means that all three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are God. When we engage scripture where Jesus or the Holy Spirit or God is proclaiming to be God, we're speaking of the ontological trinity. Follow? Very Pretty simple. You've heard the trinity, God is three in one. Ontological trinity is one. Okay? Got it? Economic trinity. Fire that one up there. Economical trinity. The distinct roles of each person of the trinity. Jesus has a very specific role in his godness. God has, the Father has a very specific role in his godness. The Holy Spirit has a very specific role in his godness. What that's called is the economical trinity. You understand? So Jesus, when he's acting out, when he's on this earth, has flesh and blood walking around, that's the economical trinity. 
when the Holy Spirit is interacting with you today, convicting you of sin, guiding you in what you should do, guiding you in what you shouldn't do, speaking truth to you, that's the Holy Spirit operating his role in the economical trinity. Right? They're distinct things, and they don't show up specifically didactically in Scripture, but they show up inherently within Scripture. We have to read into them and see what it is. Today, we see the Trinity. And this is like spending time here so we can understand what is happening because it's really important for us to connect that Jesus is laying out the Trinity, who he is in essence, and what he's doing reflecting that essence. All right? It's kind of confusing, but as we walk through this and as we engage with this, the, the payoff at the end is really good. So, so bear with, bear with the, the, the thinkingness of what's happening here. I just made up a word, thinkingness. Uh, all right, so let's, let's go back here and read verse 19 and see this ontological trinity that Jesus is proclaiming about himself. Truly, truly, and we'll see that phrase a lot. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Remember, Jesus is testifying to a bunch of lawyers when he's saying this. I am, I am just like my God. Let's keep going because it gets, it gets more. He, he says the same thing over and over again. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. I'm going to do things that make you pay attention to the fact that I'm God. That's what Jesus just said in verse 20. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. He is placing himself equal with God there. Just like God can give life, I can give life. This is a a really bold statement, and it isn't just some passing conversation that Jesus has with somebody. We get theology wrong all the time in our simple conversations. We're talking about, hey, this is what God did. Well, maybe God did or didn't do that. But this isn't a, a, a passing conversation. This is a legal conversation among God to a bunch of lawyers who think they know God. You follow that? And Jesus is equating himself with God. Whatever he does, I do. Whatever he can do, I can do. Verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Okay, quiz. Please get it right. Verse 22. let's, Let's decide whether this is the economical trinity or the ontological trinity. The Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Yes. Awesome. Well done. Because now Jesus is operating in his specific role as God by judging. That's his role. He's the judge. All right? Verse 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Hopping back into the ontological trinity there. That we I receive this, the same honor that you give to God the Father, you give to me because I am God. And again, testifying to a bunch of lawyers. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is, this is big. This is really big. 
Because the most important thing that any of us will ever do in our lifetimes is what we do with Jesus. There's a lot of things that give us stress and a lot of things that give us pressure and a lot of things that that take our minds. But at the heart of this is what you do with Jesus. It's massively important. Jesus is God and the Father has sent him. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Again, remember, Jesus, economical trinity, he is the judge. He's the one who's going to bring judgment. And now he's just said that those who believe in him will not have to encounter that judgment. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, we are presently, this moment, hearing the word of God. And believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. I want to stop for a second because we've just seen the word believe here. And it's really, really important. Fire up that next slide, David. This believe is the Greek word pistuo, all right? And it means the conviction and trust to which a man is impelled by a certain inner and higher prerogative and law of soul to trust in Jesus or God. We use the word believe a lot. We throw it around a lot. But here, this particular use of the word believe is way more than what we are used to. When we engage the word believe in Scripture, when we engage the word believe here, it's different than I, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is God. Or I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's one thing. But what this word is saying to you, it's belief that inspires action, that changes who you are. What we do with Jesus is really important. You can believe him or you can pisteo him. Do you understand? It's, it's massively important. I love this impelled by a certain inner and higher prerogative and law of soul. We have encountered God. Like, that's a, that's a phrase, I think, that, that can be lost. Like, you expect to hear stuff like that in church. You have encountered God, but... Have you encountered God? It's big. And Jesus here is saying, when you see me, you have encountered God. And those that believe, this kind of belief, that changes who we are, how we think, what we do, how we react, that changes you and brings you from death into life avoids the judgment for you. It's huge. And this is important because Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who have closed eyes. And our natural reaction when we encounter God is to close our eyes and not to believe. But here's Jesus speaking, saying, 
If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Believe that. We're going to see believe a few more times. And I'll probably harp on it for a long time, just like I'm harping on this one for a long time. Let's go back and read verse 24 again, because it is the hinge upon which your salvation rests. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Here's, here's the, what, what Jesus just said to a bunch of religious people. Pay attention because people are getting saved right now. People who were once dead are now being made alive because of the fact that I am God. This is verse John five twenty five is the, the paraphrase is people are coming from death to life because they realize their eyes are open to the fact that I am God. Jesus speaking truth. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. More ontological trinity. Verse 27. And he has given him the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of of man. Again, God, Jesus proclaiming to be God, and this is economic trinity. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. God gave him that role to go and be and do. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of of judgment. Jesus will judge. Now, Jesus has been talking about the Trinity so far, and now he's beginning to, he's going to go transition to talking specifically about himself and witnesses to who he is. And here's what I want you to have ringing in your head for the rest of what we hear this morning. Everything in Scripture is written and has been written to get you to understand that Jesus is the Christ. Everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament is pointing to the facts that Jesus just laid out to these people. All right? It's important for us to understand because he's going to talk about John the Baptist. He's going to talk about Moses. He's going to talk about the Old Testament. And all of it is pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. And in his words lies salvation. Verse 30. The heading here, witnesses to Jesus. Again, remember, this is a courtroom that's happening here. I, am, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about me, myself, my testimony is not deemed to be true. Let's back up in just a second and get some context here. In this setting in this day and age a testimony from one person was invalid you needed two people so jesus again when he talked about and jesus said to them he placed the context of of law we're in a courtroom jesus saying i know that just my testimony about who i am is not going to hold water with you guys so i'm going to bring up some people that you connect with that you trust that you know that you respect and bring their testimony to to bear witness to who i am 
That's what happens, verse 31 through the end of the chapter. Or verse 32 through the end of the chapter. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent John, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. You remember we talked about that earlier? John the Baptist in chapter 1 and chapter 2. John the Baptist shows up and he is a well-respected figure among the the Jewish people, the religious people, the the leaders of the day. He's well-respected. And John said, there's the Christ, the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you remember that? That's in John, John 1 or 2. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John testified, and Jesus is bringing it up here in this court proceeding, that John has testified that he is in fact God. Verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. All of this stuff is happening. Jesus being proclaimed as God so that you might be saved. Verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp. The he there is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You are willing to rejoice for a while. You connected with John. You respected John. He was well thought of in this community. You were willing to bask in his light for a while. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Here's the deal. In other words, John the Baptist, here, when, when, when Jesus says this and when John writes this, remember there's a, a 50, 60, 70 years between that time period. And, and John the Baptist has now been killed by Nero, by the, the, the emperor, right? And so John the Baptist is, is, is well-respected, but he begins to lose some of his, his well-respectedness when he calls Jesus the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, all right? And so he loses some of that, but Jesus is still proclaiming to be God, Let's, let's go back to our scripture. Verse 35. He calls him a burning and shining lamp. You are willing to rejoice for a little while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish are the very works that I'm doing. Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. So he brings John the Baptist as a witness, and now he's bringing God himself as a witness. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. Verse 38, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Here we go again. Open the eyes of our hearts. And this is, this is crucial for us. Like, here's, like, I'm moving now, transitioning from teacher to pastor. Because here is, it's, it's a big deal for us to connect with this. Because these are people, these religious people are, are people who have given their lives to the study of the word of God. They are smarter than you and I will ever be about the word of God. 
but it doesn't abide in them. Why doesn't it abide in them? Jesus is saying it doesn't abide in you because you don't believe that I'm God. So it, like, and, and that's got to press into all that we are. If Jesus is in fact God, what are we doing trifling around with him, with our lives, with our purpose, with our direction? What are we doing? It's, if, if Jesus is in fact God, we need to act like this believe word. It's got to change us. And here, Jesus is engaging really smart people who understand it. And this is where we need to connect with them and be scared. Be very, very scared. Because this, chances are, there are people in this room who are very, very intellectual about Scripture who don't believe Jesus. And you're going to spend an eternity in hell. It's horrible. We've got to, it's got to change who we are. If it doesn't, we're a Jewish religious leader who encounters Jesus and walks away. And we can deceive ourselves. We're really good at it. Deceiving ourselves. I've got, he may not, but I've, I've. And then what happens when we engage Jesus, when we engage his commands, we engage his scripture, we, does it change who we are, what we do, how we believe, how we serve, how we love, how we forgive? Does it really change those things? If it doesn't, you're probably the one whom Jesus is testifying to right here. It's got to change us. Or it's fake. It's not real. And you have not passed from life to death. I hope there's some people here who are really uncomfortable. Because here's the deal. When Jesus talks, it should make you uncomfortable. When I'm reading this this week, I was really uncomfortable. Mostly because I had no idea what he was talking about. It's okay. It's okay. But Jesus will open the eyes of your heart so that you might see him as God. Believe it. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. What Jesus said is the whole purpose of the Bible is to show you who I really am. And then that changes us. So John the Baptist is a witness and the scriptures are a witness. Let's read that verse again. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. The most important thing you'll ever do is what you do with Jesus. Scriptures are pointing to that. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Again, religious people who know the Bible inside and out won't come to Jesus because they don't believe who he is. God, would you open the eyes of our heart. Verse 41, I do not receive glory from people, 
but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Again, Jesus proclaiming to be God, and you don't accept it. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed, same word, Moses, believed what he taught and that changed you, you would also believe me, for he wrote of me. And this is like, these people really related to what Moses said. That's what they gave their lives to. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. All the Jews thoroughly engaged and believed in those first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And those were Moses' writings. And the heart of this is you believe that, but if you really believed that, impelled to action by a law of your soul, if you really believe that, you would believe in me and be impelled to action by a law of the soul. Everything in Scripture has been pointing to me, Jesus says. Verse 47. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And this is, this is really sad. Because these are people who have given their lives to the study of God's word. And they missed it. These are people who are likely way smarter than you, who've given their lives to the study of God's word, and they missed it. That freaks me out. I've given my life to the study of this word. And if that study of the word doesn't change who I am, doesn't impel the law of my soul to conform to who he is, I am a religious leader that Jesus is throwing under the bus and will eventually crucify him. Does that freak you out? Yeah, it, it, it better. And that's why Dave and Jeff and I are, are speaking over you this morning, asking God to open the eyes of our heart. Because within us is not the power. Within God alone is the power to quicken our souls, to open our eyes and see him as the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away your sin. Let's pray and allow God to work in our hearts. Father, I thank you for this morning. (coughs) I thank you that you are in fact the son of God. Your son Jesus has come to this world to live this perfect life and everything that's been written is pointing to him as the son of God. God, would we engage you as the son of God? God, allow us to see your son, Jesus, rightly in his name. Amen.